Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Roland Mitchell pastors the Calvary Bible Wesleyan Church in Plainfield, Indiana, and he's become a convention favorite over the years. This sermon is a very solemn one, and my friend, if you're not ready to meet the Lord, there is no better day to get ready than today. This sermon was preached back in 2015 at the Dayton Interchurch Holiness Convention in Dayton, Ohio. It's titled, This Place. I trust you'll take heed if you need this message, and if you're ready for heaven, I know you're going to enjoy this powerful sermon. Well, it has been good to be back here again, and we enjoyed staying at the Montgomery Vacation House this afternoon, and it was very pleasant there as usual, and we thank them so much. I'd, uh, when Brother Ziegler's boys were small, the one that was such an acrobat, he would start off riding his bicycle and all at once he ended up standing on the seat. And he would just be going along, standing on the seat. And here would, and I told my wife one day, I said, I gotta close the blinds. Uh, I said, that, kid is not going to make it to adulthood. I said, he's going to kill himself. And he would do some stunts that you just can't believe could be done by somebody so small. It was unbelievable. But he's still alive. He's made it. And he's still going. I don't know if he still does stunts or not. But I guarantee you, I'm not sure I want to ride in a car with him, probably. <laughs> I haven't seen him drive, but if it's anything like his bike riding, I'm not interested in that at all. And so it's good to be back again. And so we want to say thank you for the generous offering. Very nice, very good, and we appreciate it so much. We've enjoyed our drive back and forth. Last night was really the first night I was tired. And I wasn't too tired last night. I was more tired coming down this morning than I was uh, going home last night. But we've enjoyed our trip back and forth. It's been nice, and we appreciate it. Just remember us in prayer as we go. We've got a big job to do to take care of Dad. Dad is really not sick. He just doesn't have mental capacity anymore. And he's just like a little child, having a little child in the house. And uh, it's very, very hard, very hard. And so pray, pray for us. I'm going to keep him with me as long as I can. And uh, when he proves to me I can't watch him anymore, I'll do something else. But it's a, it's a chapter in our life that's very, very, very hard. So if you think about us, pray for us that God will give us the help and strength that we need to be able to do what we're doing. And we do have a very good church. The people are very kind and good to us. And uh, we enjoy our ministry there. And plan to take very few meetings in the years to come. 
I'm just enjoying myself doing what I'm doing. I feel like we're in the Lord's will. We thank you for the invitation to come back again. May God bless you. The book of Luke tonight, chapter 16. Chapter 16, the book of Luke. We had a very nice meal today with the Zigglers. And if any of you had a part in that, thank you so much. I know somebody brought in a very beautiful cake. So there may have been other things done. Thank you for everything done. It's been very pleasant. Luke 16, we're beginning the verses reading tonight with verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table... Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, there is between us and you, there uh, is a gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, and to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Tonight I want to use for my thought a portion of verse 28 that's simply this, two words, this place, this place. Heavenly Father, we have enjoyed our week together with the people here and we pray now that in this closing message that you will come and help us. We understand that we're preaching to a family and families that have known the Lord for many years. And yet younger ones are coming on and children are coming on and people have their struggles in life. And, and we pray now that tonight you will help us as we endeavor to look at this passage of Scripture. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This place. You know, we're not given much detail about the lives of either of these two men. The Bible says that one was rich. He is an unnamed man. And uh, the Bible says he fared sumptuously. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. And yet we must assume that they were a somewhat religious family because later Jesus says to this rich man, uh, you have Moses and the prophets. You have Moses and the prophets. So we, we know that they must have been familiar with spiritual things. I wonder how many people are familiar with spiritual things. You know, you don't have to uh, go very far. And like the lady back here 
talking about the vacuum salesman. You don't have to go very far with most people to find someone in their family that knew God. And uh, almost every home in America has a Bible in it. It may be on the coffee table. It may be very rarely used or lifted up. But there's a Bible. You can buy Bibles in America for a dollar. The Chinese people put their people in prison for owning one page of the Bible, and yet they crank out Bibles in China every day to sell to Americans for a dollar in Dollar Tree. It's amazing, isn't it? The highest stage of hypocrisy in the world is right there in China. And, and so there it is. We're, we're living in a day when people are familiar with spiritual things, but they're not doing anything about it. They're not doing anything with it. And so we must assume also that this rich man's family had turned a deaf ear to spiritual things because now we see the state that he's in and his concern finally in hell for his lost family who are headed toward hell as hard as they can go because they've, they've ignored spiritual things. And we're living in a nation where that ignorance and that ignoring of spiritual things is coming home to us now. We have had 45 or 50 years now of godless education in America. I remember in public school when we had Christian education, we'd march across the street to the Church of the Nazarene from public school and have the old saints would come and teach us on Thursday afternoons. Uh, on and when I was in third grade, we uh, we stood on the stage and sang "Blessed Be the Tie That Binds" on Parent Teacher Night as a third grade class. In fourth grade, I learned the song "Take Time to Be Holy" and other old spiritual songs. I learned in public school. They used to have preachers come and preach to us at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and we'd sit Indian style in the gym while they preached to us. Our teachers prayed with us before we went to lunch and when we got on the bus in the evening. Those were the days before Madeline Murrah O'Hara had stolen something from America. And, and after now nearly 50 years of godless education, we're beginning to reap the profits of godless education in America. And it's a very awful thing. Americans are turning a deaf and ear to God. They're ignoring the fact that God should get glory our, our nation's president is very smug about so many things. He doesn't give God the glory that, that you're supposed to give. And, and our, many of our leaders across our country are doing the same thing. And we're ignoring God to our, to our great detriment. And here was a family that did the same thing. They were familiar with spiritual things, but they went on doing their thing. They went on making money and living their lives. They had no time for Moses and the prophets to convict them of their needs and of their sins. A typical family of our modern day. How many people use today across the country as a day to have a big time? Uh, the boat, the camper, the jet ski, and all those things are nice. I'm not against them. I hope everybody has a nice boat, a nice jet ski, and a camper. I hope everybody has all those things, but when you take the weekend... Uh, to, to have fun instead of spiritual things. It's not good. It's not good for the family and it's taking them down the wrong road. And so it is that we're living in a nation that's bankrupt spiritually. We have everything money can buy except uh, spirituality in our country. And so here we're told the next thing we learn about this godless family is 
that this rich man has died. He's dead and his body has been buried. No doubt uh, because they were wealthy, a very, uh, very ornate and pompous funeral. It's amazing sometimes how much money is spent when somebody dies. Uh, a friend of mine had a funeral some time ago for a fellow in his casket. Uh, was in the 20-some thousands, just the casket. It had gold plate on it all around. And he said it was amazing, uh, the funeral sprays and, and the, the elaborate funeral. But the sad part of it was this fellow had lived less than a mile from a holiness church and had never been able to be convinced to step in the door one time. But the only pastor that had ever been faithful to the family was called to have the funeral, a holiness pastor, had been faithful to knock on the door of the wealthiest man in that county's home from time to time. And from time to time, he would always be told, no, uh, they weren't able to come, and so on and so forth. But he was called when that man died. The family uh, thought, well, who are we going to get? You know, it's amazing how many people don't have a clue who to get when they lose a family member. They don't have any preachers. They don't know any preachers. The uh, funeral director there in Plainfield I was asked to have a funeral for a stranger just a, no, no, no more than a couple weeks after I came to town. I had a funeral for a perfect stranger because the family just simply didn't know a preacher. And uh, the funeral director said to me, Brother Mitchell, he said, this is happening more and more and more. Families are coming to the funeral home and they have no clue who to call. They don't know anybody. They don't know any preachers. And he said, I, I sure would like to put your number on file here for families like that. And so I told him it was all right to do that. But I thought, how sad is it that out of an entire family, an extended family, nobody knows a preacher. That's the times we're living in now. This rich man has died and the Bible said he was buried possibly with all the trimmings of wealth. We see the heartbroken family you know, sinners grieve, I think, harder than the saints. You know, when, when a saint passes away, we're grieving, and yet there is part of us that know that this is just temporary goodbye, that we're going to see them on the other side. We have pleasant memories of their shouts, their testimonies, their preaching, their singing. And you know, when we go to the funerals of saints, sometimes we leave just lifted up. Oh, yes, our hearts are heavy because they were great. We're going to miss them. But there's part of us that knows we'll see them on the other side. But you know, sinners don't have that comfort. And they have a very hard time uh, with death many times. And you know, really we see here as, as this family buries this rich man and, and life goes on. Life goes on. We look at the other fellow, Lazarus. His, he's named. The other fellow, the rich man's an unnamed guy. He spent all his time building wealth and being well known. But yet in Scripture, he's nameless. But here's another man who had nothing, and he's named. His name is Lazarus. And the first thing we read about him is that he's a certain beggar. He is a known, a well-known beggar, a certain beggar, the one that everybody thinks of. Whenever you think of beggars, uh, perhaps there's somebody that you think of. And uh, this was one. Lazarus was a well-known beggar in that area. We don't know what had brought on his deplorable condition. We don't know why he was alone. We don't know if he had a family or not. And surely if he did, they would have been helping care for him in his hour of need. But he seems to be family without family, perhaps an orphan. 
He's laying at the gate full of sores. The Bible says the dogs came and licked his sores. His body is emaciated. He's not even able to stand and beg, but is brought and laid at the rich man's gate to beg for the table scraps. And that is a hard thing to imagine. I've had that happen to me. I've been in foreign countries many times, and I I remember one evening we were going into Kentucky Fried Chicken in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And uh, as we were going in, three little children slipped out of the bushes there and, and came to us and begged us to bring our bones out to them. And uh, then about that time, a security guard saw them and he ran them back into the bushes. But they would slip out. And, and I thought about those little guys sitting there in the bushes watching people eat in Kentucky Fried Chicken. I, I went up to... Um, a donut place one morning. We were building a church and we stopped by and everybody shelled out money. And uh, I was sent into the donut shop to get several donuts. We're going to eat them on the way. And as I came out of the shop, there were two little boys standing there. They had their faces pressed against the glass. They were thin and gaunt. And, and one of them pointed at my donuts and pointed at their stomachs and pointed at their mouth. And I just handed them the two bags of donuts. I'm an easy I'm an easy get. And those little guys jumped in the air and uh, ran down the street, turned back around, waved at me, and I got to the car and the guy said, "Where's the donuts?" I said, "I gave them away." They sent someone back in. I said, "Send somebody else." I'm too easy. But you think about Lazarus begging. You know, people say Things a lot of times, that, and they, they quote David when David said, I, "I've never seen the Lord, uh, the Lord's people uh, begging bread and so on." And I read after another writer once that said, "Well, David might not have, but I have." I thought about that a little while, and we know that there are people that are hungry. You know, we quote that verse so glibly. We know there are people in various prisons in North Korea that are starving to death because they're only, the only thing they've done is love Jesus. Their bones are sticking through their skin. You can't quote David to them at that point. There's just a lot of things. You know, we have lived in a culture of, of wealth. And I know some of you smile at that. But compared to all the other cultures that I've seen, America's got something going here. We've got something going. We've got salad bars that are enough to feed entire cities in Honduras. And, and so it is today that we are, we are living in a culture of wealth and we have food and we have plenty. And yet there are people that love God that are hungry right now. I don't understand why sometimes God's people go hungry. I don't understand why Lazarus had to lay at the gate of the rich man and hope for scraps. I don't aim to stand here and tell you that I understand things like that because I don't. But I do know this. The end of the Christian is always good. The end of the trail is what I'm looking for tonight. We may have hard times on the way. You know, lately I've been having a battle and I... I don't mind telling you about it. I've had a real battle with how my dad's ended up. I really have. My dad has been a sacrificial, 
home missionary his whole life. My mom and dad have scraped and scrimped and took the smallest church on the district their whole life and always ended up making something out of them. And I'm having a real hard time with why my dad has to end up like he does. Pray for me. I'm having a hard time with it. And I'm also having a hard time to wonder how it could be God's will for me to have to babysit and watch my dad in this shape. It's pretty tough. And I spend a lot of days saying, Lord, why are you doing this? What's this about? Why am I going through this? And why does dad have to face the end of his life like this? He doesn't know it. Thank God he's oblivious to it. And I don't understand everything. And I don't understand why Lazarus is laying at the gate. If if I told you I thought I understood that tonight, I'd be lying because I don't. I don't understand why some things happen. But I know this, the end of God's people is always good. Heaven is always good. It's always good at the end. There's tough times that we go through. Sometimes we wonder. We wonder what's going on. And no doubt Lazarus may have wondered what was going on. But the Bible says, one thing we're sure of, the child of God was Lazarus was a child of God and he ended up his life in a good way because when he died, the Bible says when he did, God sent angels down to pick him up. Now you can't get any better than that. When my mother crossed the line of worlds three years ago this coming week, I was with her. I was called home from a meeting in Tennessee and drove all night to get home. And and mom had very little she was able to respond to, but... When I got home, I took her hand. I said, Mom, I'm home. And she opened her eyes briefly and said, Home safe. That was always my mom's worry. I've got her diaries at home, and I've read back through some of them. And her, I found out her biggest worry was that Deborah and I would get home in one piece from our travels. Uh, and she would say, Oh, Jesus, help them get home safe. She'd write in her diary. And uh, she'd say to me, Honey, what time did you get home? And I'd say, oh, Mom, about 2 o'clock. She'd say, that's when I was able to drift off to sleep. She didn't know it, but it coincided. And you know, really, when angels come, the end of the Christian is beautiful. When my mom passed away, we, we were all weary from being at the hospital all those days with her. And, and Tommy Sproles was coming to pick Mom up. And Tommy's wife had never been with him on a removal before. That's what they call it when they come and get people. And he said, she said, Tommy, I want to go. I want to go get with you to get Sister Mitchell. And uh, she told people, and Tommy said this too, when we picked her up all the way back to Newcastle, it just was, it, we just felt God, the glory of God all over us as we came back to Newcastle. That's the end of a Christian race. That's what we're living for. We may not always have everything quite right now, but someday we're going to have the end. The end's good. The angels, God said, Lazarus has died, go get him. Go get him. And the angels go and they bring him away. They bring him, leaving forever behind the terrors of his old life, his sickness and poverty 
and he's carried into a land that's fairer than day. No doubt the next day his dead body's thrown on some kind of a trash heap somewhere. We don't even read that he's given a decent burial. But his soul is in heaven with God and life goes on on earth. You know, uh, no doubt the next day you could see the old dogs that used to lick Lazarus' sores laying sleepily under some tree. Somebody else is lounging in the house of the rich man. Somebody else is wearing his exquisite robes. Someone else is running the family business. And life goes on on earth. You know, life is going to go on after you're gone. They'll probably have an estate sale. And people will come and bid on your stuff. <clears throat> Sometimes estate sales are kind of melancholy for me because my mind wanders. And I see stuff. And I, I see things that I was just sure was probably wedding presents and anniversary presents. And, and I see the tools that this man had and the dishes that they had and the books that they had. It tells me something about their life. The records they collected. And all their things tell a story as they're laid out for the sale. People are buying stuff. I'm buying usually as much as my van will hold till I run out of money. I'll buy till I ran through my money. I'll load all my stuff, beg my neighbors and friends to let me send stuff home with them. Get all this stuff home and put it in the barn with everybody else's stuff from all the other auctions I've been to. And my barn and my, my sheds are full of everybody's stuff. All at once, everybody's pasts are all thrown together in sheds on my place. Pieces of history, parts of this, parts of that. And that's what's going to happen. My kids are going to hate me when I die. It's going to be the biggest sale you ever saw. So you need to come if you read about it in the paper. You need to come just to see it all. I've never seen it all at one time spread out. But someday others will. And it will all be there. Every record that was ever put out in holiness movements in the attic of my garage. Everything. All the props from various kids camps. When people need a prop, they call me. Last week, the, the, Glicks, uh, the Glick boy, Jonathan's wife, the Arnett girl, called us. Said, I need an antique baby buggy to announce our baby's birth. And, of course, we had one. I had to find it. But I found it, and then she sent, put all of her pictures on the Internet. That's my buggy in those pictures. But, you know, someday our stuff will be out, and life will just go on. Life will go on. But what about life after death? In the entire Bible, there's no clearer picture of life after death than right here. The Bible says that hell is a place. Verse 23, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. In verse 28 it says, this place, hell is a place then. Hell is a place just as sure as Weisball is a place. Just as sure as Shoals is a place, as Indiana is a place. Hell is a place. It's a real place. In hell he lifted up his eyes and he's gone from a place where life is like a vapor to a place where life is eternal in duration and will never stop and never end. Yes, in hell he lifted up his eyes. Hell is a place, all right. It's a place. It's a place of what? It's a place of clear vision. Verse 23 says, He lift up his eyes being in torments. 
He lifted up his eyes in hell and, and his first glimpse of hell, everything goes into focus. You know, there's a lot of people who've done lots of things, but when they lift up their eyes in hell, the focus will be clear. They neglected the most important thing. The, it will be clear just so fast. They neglected the most important thing. Vision and hell will be clear. Hell is a place of clear vision. He sees things now for what they really are. He understands how things really are there. Hell is a place. It's a place of clear vision. It's a place of torment. Notice in verse 23, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. The original language, the Greek suggests that this word torment means the bottom of a thing. The lowest down tortures, the lowest pain. A place of remorse, a place of despair, a place of regret, a place of memory, a place of hopelessness, a place of separation. Hell is a place the bottom of a thing. The dregs. What are the dregs? Sometimes I call the stuff I buy at sales the dregs. I, I'm a, I like to save the auction till the last minute and get in on the dollar stuff. When they break up huge piles and you take it all for a dollar, I love that. And I like to get in on the end of the sale. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dregs buyer. Sometimes I'll hand people my card at their garage sale and say, when the sale's over, uh, call me and I'll buy the balance. Sometimes I'll buy the balance for $15. It just depends. And I bring all the dregs to my house and sort them through. Put them a lot of it in the trash, give some of it to friends, put some of it in my sale, and it's just fun to go through the dregs. The ends of something. It's the bottom of a thing. You know, when you're drinking your coffee... What do you do with that last little swallow in the bottom? You see the grains in the bottom. You don't say, oh, good, the grains, the dregs. Oh, good, that's what I'm waiting for. No, you toss that out. And in hell, hell is going to be filled with the dregs. The end of civilization. The end of people. The lowest down people possible are going to be there. Out west, there's a prison that's nine stories below ground. You can read about this on the internet. It's nine stories below ground. The people that go down there will never see the sun again. They'll never feel rain. They'll never see a rainbow. They'll never see snow. They go below ground to live till they die. They're the dregs of society. The mass murderers, the shoe bomber, all those people are in that terrible supermax prison. And when they die... When they leave there without God, if they do, they will land in a devil's hell. And the dregs of all of the ages are, are collecting up in the bottom of hell's cup. It's a terrible place of torment. It's a place of absent mercy. Notice here, the first recorded words from the rich man in hell is, Father Abraham, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. But what is mercy? The mercy door is forever closed. Hell is a place of absent mercy. Nobody to feel sorry. You know, we all, we need pity, don't we, sometimes? We need uh, mercy. We need somebody to care. 
Sometimes we'll be driving along and say, oh, honey, I've got a bad headache. She'll reach over and massage my neck. I'll feel so good. Looking for a little pity there. She'll say, oh, my ankles are swollen. She'll say, don't you care? Because I don't give her as much pity as what she gives me. It needs to be back and forth, but it doesn't always work that way. But you know, in hell there's nobody to be sorry. Little children run to us when they're hurt because they want you to put your arms around them and tell them it's going to be okay and kiss it and all that. They've got a boo-boo and all this stuff. Band-aids galore. But in hell there's nobody to do that. There's nobody that cares. In hell, every man, the only thing he cares about is his own pain. And there's nobody to give anyone pity there. It's a place of absent mercy. It's a place of the beggar. You see, they've reversed roles now. The one who used to beg is sitting in the bosom of Abraham enjoying things. And the one that used to be rich enjoying things is begging. And what does he want? One more gold sovereign. One more chest of diamonds, rubies, and jewels. One more farm. No. He wants one droplet of water that can be got off the end of someone's finger. One droplet of water is all he's requesting. He's become the beggar. You see, everybody in hell becomes a beggar of sorts. I believe there's a lot of people in hell that are begging for another hit from some drug they died under the effects of. I believe that in hell, people's bodies will be screaming for whatever it is that they need and they'll never be satisfied. People in hell are people of beggars. They're beggars. Everyone in hell is reduced to a beggar. It's the place of the beggar. Begging. It's a place of vivid memory. Verse 25 says, Son, remember you had your good times. Memory. You know, memory is a good thing. You can remember good things that have happened. You can remember fun times. You can remember messages. Oh my goodness, I've got messages memorized that I heard H.E. Darnell preach. I've heard him so many times I could just, in my mind I was saying what he was going to say next and he always said it. And I, I have a lot of memories of services I've been in, aunts and uncles' homes, family reunions, Christmases past. Wonderful memories that I dredge up every once in a while. And every once in a while our memories start to fade about certain things. We know we were there, but we're not really sure what happened or which one or what. But in hell your memory will be sharpened. Son, remember, call back your memory. You had a good life. You had your good times. Lazarus had evil things, but you've already had your good times. When the saints die, their good times start. When sinners die, their good times end. That's how it works. It's a place of vivid memory. Every time you could have gone to church, you could have minded God, you could have went to the altar, you could have settled the question, it'll be those memories that haunt you. It's a place of vivid memory. It's a place of hopeless compassion. Verse 27 says this, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. All at once, the rich man says, 
I can't have any water, huh? Okay. Would you let Lazarus go to my father's house? I have five brothers there. I don't want him to come here. Send Lazarus there, please. All at once, he has compassion for those that he knows are there that he sure are headed just as sure as they can to where he's coming. It would amaze us tonight to know how many dads are in hell knowing that their kids are headed where they're coming as hard as they can go knowing that they did very little in their lifetime to stop it from happening, that they trained their children to follow them to hell to be lost. And they're in hell now waiting on their sons and grandsons to arrive because they know they set the path and set them on the road to hell before they ever died. Hopeless compassion. If you can't help me, if you won't do anything for me, Go talk to my brothers, lest they come to this place of torment. Hell is a place of hopeless compassion. Hell is a place of unanswered prayer. This is the only place in Scripture where someone prays to a dead saint. Did you know that? Father Abraham, a dead saint. Have mercy on me. It's the only place in Scripture where someone prays to a dead saint. And the prayer is never answered. That ought to put a heads up to some people that have all these dead saints that they pray to. I tell you, it's amazing, isn't it? Cards, Saint so-and-so, protect me now, da-da-da-da-da. You go into their bookstores, they have racks of cards for all these dead saints they pray to. They used to have a little saint that you put on your car, a car dash. They had a television saint. Can you imagine? Little TV saint, little plastic TV saint, put on your TV. They're a saint for every occasion. It's amazing. But this is the only place in the Bible where you pray to a dead saint and nothing happens. Unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. Hell is a place of unanswered prayer. If you're going to do your praying, you need to do it now. Hell is a place of unanswered prayer. Can you imagine the pleadings? that people have as they realize they've taught their families wrong with the clear vision that they have. They see they're in hell. They see what's going on. They see the past. They see their family. And they know their family's headed towards hell. And they're crying and screaming for somebody to go warn their precious daughter, their precious children, do not come here. I used to hear Brother Darnell preach about the prayer meetings in hell. Oh, my I have no way to to begin to preach hell the way he used to preach hell. The prayer meetings of the lost that will never be answered, a place of unanswered prayer. Hell is a place of the great gulf. Notice here, he says, besides all this, there is a great gulf. There's a great gulf. Verse 26, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There's a great gulf, he said. Folks, tonight there's a great gulf between the holiness of God and the sins of man. It's a great gulf. It's a place of the great gulf. No one has ever left hell to to talk about it. No one ever escapes 
People that fall into hell are there. It's a place of the great gulf. Concerned mothers from heaven are not even allowed to go there to fetch out boys that were wayward. Wouldn't it be something if there was some sort of a bridge from hell to heaven where saintly moms could go across the bridge, find their children, and bring them to heaven? There is no love like a mother's love. But there's no bridge. No one's ever been brought from hell to heaven. It just doesn't happen. It's a place of the great gulf. Hell is a place. Let's stand together tonight. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.